0: By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in me, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that you may, that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay his, down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you you did not choose me but I choose you and appointed you or I chose chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name he may give it to you these things I command you so that you will love one another and for Kevin
1: Thank you for sharing and reading And as I stand up here now, ah, there it is. <laughs> was wondering where my notes were. You guys are lucky uh, But I don't know how many of you guys have memorized scripture before. My name's Kevin. by the way, if I haven't met you, it's good to be with you uh. I'm one of the pastor elders here, and uh, we are excited to be spending some more time in John together uh, this month. I don't know how many of you guys have memorized large swaths of Scripture before, um, and many of you probably have never uh, memorized Scripture like this before. It is something that is uncommon these days, especially since we have you know, eternity at our fingertips in these little things, the need to even memorize a phone number. I mean, I'm, I'd be surprised if there's many of you in this room that have more than two phone numbers actually memorized. Preston, do you have two phone numbers memorized? <laughs> we, it, it, it's a lost art, uh, but scripture, we're told, David tells us to meditate on his word day and night. We are to hide God's word in our heart. In fact, even part of The New Covenant promises that God would write his word on our soft hearts. Uh, And one of the means and ways in which that happens is as we memorize scripture. It's a way of us eating this daily bread every single day. And so we know coming off the bat, right out of the gates in 2022, saying, hey, let's memorize 17 verses together. Many of you are like, yeah, no, that's just not me. I'm not gifted in this area. Just so you know, there's very few people who are actually gifted in this area. This is something that takes training, discipline, intentionality. So you've got those uh, <laughs> you've got those uh, three-by-five cards. You can get them on your own. We'll provide them. We probably will even provide a sheet for you next week that has the whole thing on it. But we do want to encourage you guys. This won't, you can do like I've done in the past. I actually, memorization is not something that's terribly difficult for me. Uh, I grew up doing Awana, and I was super big on performance, and so one night I memorized and recited an entire Awana book. If you know Awana, that's kind of a big deal, so you should be proud of me. Um, (coughs) I got my Awana books, and I'm stoked. Uh, But really, is really cool. It was neat, and you memorize one verse or two verses at a time. Uh, And I still have some of those memorized today, but there's something powerful about memorizing pericopes or paragraphs or sections of thought in Scripture. And so we, again, we're just challenging. We want to encourage you to jump into it. This is a way for us to practice abiding in Jesus. So it is great to be together. Um, We weren't able to be together with you last week. Our family had COVID. I know there's a number of you probably who also had COVID last week or two weeks ago now, I guess is what it was. You were wondering, are you still? No, we're not contagious. We're cleared, and but I also I want to share that up front. I think there is to some degree some shame that goes around with getting COVID and the nervousness around it. I just want you to know we don't have to be ashamed of it. We don't have to hide it. We don't have to do any of those things. Uh, By God's grace, He's made our body to recover, Uh, and our whole family of six got it. Our whole family of six is better there's some lingering coughs and things of that nature if you were concerned but i i share it not for anybody to feel sorry but also just to make sure nobody needs to suffer alone nobody needs to suffer in silence we have people who want to help care for one another even if you're sick with covid so if you've had it uh you know we commiserate with you if you haven't uh it's probably not a question of if it is a question of when almost certainly and so Uh, We know that we need to be together, and so we're going to take precautions. We're going to be considerate, uh, but we're going to continue to grow together in the season. So if you are online and you find yourself in a spot maybe where you are quarantining and maybe you haven't told people, it's okay. Tell people. uh, We've got folks who want to send you either a Grubhub gift card or come bring a homemade meal to you. Uh, We want to be there for one another during this time. And with that, though, we are starting this new series uh, one that is going to continue to be flowing, like Alex said, from our Advent time uh, straight into John 15. We are looking at the abiding life. And this is incredibly important for us. You see, the relationship that Jesus invites us into in John 15 is the foundation for our understanding of how we relate to God. Jesus is giving us the road map. The how-to, the what-to-expect of life with God. And it's presented to us clearly in John 15. However, sometimes, as we read John 15, we may not see and look and realize that this is the way that many people actually relate or engage with God. Sometimes, even when we read John 15, it might feel foreign or mystical or elusive We may not understand fully what Jesus is saying. And so many times we may not relate to God in the posture in which John 15 seems to just echo over and over and over and over again. This abide with me. This remain with me. So one of the things we're going to look at today is we're going to look at five different postures in which people relate to God, four which are unhealthy, um, which we will all relate to in some way, shape, or form, and then one that we're going to spend the rest of the month really looking at. But this morning, just so you know, giving you a roadmap for where we're going today, today's a little bit more on the theology of the abiding life. This is going to be a bigger picture. Next week, we're going to look at the enemies of the abiding life. The third week, we're going to look at the practices of the abiding life. And the fourth week, we're going to look at the outcomes or the production of the abiding life. So if you're looking for all things regarding the abiding life, we're not doing that today. We're going to scope, we're going to zoom out. Josh read for us the passage. We're going to look a little bit more big picture at the ways in which we relate to God. And we're going to look at where this abiding comes from. And we're going to look at the amazing, beautiful privilege it is to actually be able to abide with him. But let's look at four ways in which people have a tendency to relate to God. There's a book by a guy named Sky Jatani called With, and he gives four examples of ways in which people have a tendency to relate to God. And so if you're a note taker, we really encourage you to write these four down. We're going to look at each of them, but the first posture we're going to look at is life under God. This is the way in which many people relate to Jesus. Some people operate in the mentality that if we get the formula right, that God will bless us. And if we get the formula wrong, God will curse us. The posture of life under God says that through adherence to strict religious rules and ideas, I can open the flow of God's favor in my life. So this is life under God. You might ask why is this wrong that some lots of that sound good, right? Isn't this how we're supposed to relate to God. God has the way things are supposed to be done. If I do things by X, Y, and Z, then I will get all of these goodies that God has for me. Well, the reason this is wrong is it views God as moralistic, stating that his goal for you is to follow his rules. And if you do, you get rewarded. And if you don't, you get punished. Each of these ways in which we relate to God, there are are elements of truth to each of them. And all of us are going to, if you've been walking with Jesus for any period of time, you are going to find yourself in some of these spaces. But how would somebody land here in life under God? Well, the Bible talks a lot about obedience, reward, and punishment. Those aren't bad things. And without understanding the kind of relationship that God desires to have with us, One could easily misread scripture and land in a life under God posture. It often comes when somebody is around Christianity for a long period of time, but may not be practicing engaging with God on a daily basis. Or it could come with somebody who is culturally around Christianity, or they get a lot of what they learn from movies, TV, Christian memes, or Catholic or Christian schools and upbringings in that space. So that's life under God. It's one of the primary ways in which people relate to God. The next posture is life over God. If you're taking notes, this is number two. Life over God, second posture, where people practice or they have a belief that says God has no bearing on the day-to-day life of a person. In a sense, it's saying that we make our own destiny, we create our own path, and through hem- human effort, we can accomplish the things that we set out to do. You see, this would be the default posture of an atheist. It's the default posture of somebody who just says, hey, we make what we make out of life. We, we are our own, we create our own destiny And you might be asking, why are you sharing a posture that would be carried by somebody who is an atheist in a church on how people actually relate to God? And that's because there's many, many, many people who call themselves Christians who actually live a life as a Christian atheist, meaning they will say with their mouth that they believe that Jesus is Lord, but they live a life and practice a life that says, I am the captain of my own ship, I do not need... God, and I don't believe, actually, that God actually works in the here and the now. They have more of a deistic approach to life, which is the clockmaker theology in which God created the world, he set it into motion, and now it's up to me. Now it's up to me to figure out how to succeed in this world. I wish I could say that I think that this posture doesn't exist very much in the church. I believe that this posture is incredibly prevalent in the church. We're just afraid to identify it. Acknowledge that this is actually more representative of the practices in our lives, perhaps. But the Christian version of life over God reduces God. To a creator who established principles for the right and good life. The Bible points to these principles, and we get to determine if we put those principles into practice. In essence, God created the playing field, and we play the game. Well, why is this wrong? This views God as distant, uninterested in anything more than the initial creation of the world. Of course, this isn't the way that the Bible describes God. How could we land here? How could we land in this spot? Many people really struggle with this idea of being in a relationship with God, especially a God who is unseen. They may find prayer difficult. Worship doesn't feel close. And it's easier to take steps to living a good life, even one described by God in the Bible, than it is to relate to God himself. And over time, the idea of God is reduced to the source of good wisdom. And life is lived without relationship to him. So that's life over God. Number three, life from God. The life from God posture reflects a person whose primary connection to God is to answer the question, What can God do for me? Or maybe slightly a, a different version of that is, How can God make my life better? The basic belief of, of life from God is that God's objective, the point, is to bless those who are obedient and faithful. The emphasis is not on the obedience and the faithfulness part in this type of relating to God, but rather on the blessing part. The goal in life from God is to get the good things that God wants to give us. The relationship that we have with God is figuring out the life that we need to live in order to unlock God's blessing for us. The central figure in the life from God's posture is, any guesses? A little bit, but it's, it's me, yeah. It's, it, the, the point of the relationship side is me. What, God, can you do for me lately? In this posture, God's will, his purposes, his plan, and principles are all structured around how God will make my life shine. This posture is really close to being really healthy. There's, there's pieces to this that are very true about who God is. About how generous he is. And how he does desire is part of the original promise. That he, all the nations of the world will be blessed. But why is this posture wrong? This posture is fundamentally reads the scriptures with us at the center. Rather than God being the center of the story. The world around us is driving to us, us to a viewpoint like this. And without counterformation of the Spirit and Scriptures, this would become the default landing spot of our world. Yes, God exists, but He exists to make your life better, to answer your needs, and to pave the way for your success. Again, it's close, but it's off. Now we have another one. The fourth posture is life for God. This one sounds even better than the last one. The life for God posture is the one that can most easily be mistaken for being genuine. And I don't even know if that's entirely true. The last two can be very genuine. But it produces a let's work for the kingdom posture. The life for God posture essentially believes that the goal of the Christian life is not found in experiencing God's love, but accomplishing tasks for God. Our place in the church and in God's favor is based on our service to him, our giving, our missionary evangelism, uh, our engaging with those around us. And on the surface, this can sound really, really good, and in a healthy spot, this is a great thing. We want to work for God. But this is not the way we are called to relate to God. This is a wrong posture. Even though, yes, the Bible calls us into the grand mission of God. But the fundamental miss of the life for God posture is found when we substitute it for being with God. The life for God posture Falls, often falls into a place of trying to appease God with our great actions, making ourselves valuable, trying to make ourselves more valuable to God. See, God, look at all of the things that I've done for you. This is why I deserve to be in your family. Or I don't know if you guys have ever heard, I want to be careful how I do it, but the, the language of, uh, like, perhaps... Uh, Somebody's doing like really effective work. Seems like they're doing really effective work for Jesus in the kingdom. And maybe they might, uh, people might be nervous about them dying or something. And somebody be like, they could never die because God's not done with them yet. God's not done working with them yet. God's not done using them. And I, I'm not opposed to that line of thinking altogether. But what I'm trying to say is we have this sneaky thing in us that we say there are more, their people are more valuable to God by what they can do for God. And I want you to know that this is not a biblical concept. If we relate to God primarily by what we can do for Him, we are going to find ourselves in this really unhealthy relationship. I don't know about you guys, but I have had many different ways in which I've related to God over the years. When I really came to know Jesus in middle school, I was passionate about how he could love somebody like me. And it was amazing. And I began this mission of life for God. Telling people about Jesus, spending, not years, but a couple times a year in Mexico, talking to my friends who didn't know Jesus about Jesus. And it was all it wasn't bad. I think it was really good motivation for the most part. But if I didn't feel like I was being effective for the kingdom, I felt like I was not doing my job as a son of the king. I didn't feel like I was valuable to Jesus. Then later in high school, as I had been a Christian for a little bit longer in life, and I found myself struggling with certain sins and temptations, I would watch something inappropriate on TV, or I would listen to something that I shouldn't, or I would fill in the blank. And my response after I messed up and I did that thing was, all right, God, I'm going to bargain with you now. Here's the deal. I'm not going to watch that thing ever again, number one. Number two, I'm going to read my Bible every day this week. I'm going to try and pray. And and I'm even going to take out the trash without being asked. And I would strike up a bargain with the Lord. So, God, this is how. I'm going to realign myself with you so that now I can be worthy to receive your blessing. How we relate to God is really important to whether or not we engage in a flourishing life with Him. For the longest time, my relationship with God was, was really twisted because I believed that when I sinned, God hated me, and when I did right, God was proud of me. And I kept going into this back and forth bipolar relationship with God and that is not our God. Because I'm not valuable to God because of what I can do for Him. I'm valuable to Him because I, like every human being on the face of this planet, has been made in the Imago Dei. Which is why we are all made to be with God. The fifth posture. And the posture we will talk about. For the rest of the month of January. Is about abiding in Jesus. Being with God. Psalm 27 says, One thing I've asked of the Lord. And this is what I desire. To dwell in the house of the Lord. All the days of my life. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord. And to seek his temple. Life with God, the abiding life, the flourishing life, this is what we are made for. And yet there's things swirling all around us, and we'll talk about it a lot next week, that are trying to distract us, to pull us out of an abiding life with God, as we'll look at the enemies of the abiding life with Eric next week. But God has always attended, intended, for humanity to abide with him. Looking at John fifteen and the myriad of passage, we see that God's ultimate desire for humanity is to be with us, and us to be with him. We've heard this throughout Old Testament that he would be our God and we would be his people and he would make his dwelling among us. Being with God and God being with us is the objective of the human soul. And it's been God's desire from creation For that to be the case. The promise of the abiding life is that you and I are invited to experience his love, his presence, power and identity that comes from the Trinity itself. We're going to take, I'm going to try and do this quickly and I know it's going to be hard for us but this is something that's really important. As we talk about theology, it's actually if we are going to talk about theology at all and when anybody else talks about theology it's important generally that we go back to where? Anybody have any idea if we're going to talk about theology, which is the study of God? Yeah, we definitely want to use scripture, but we also should go back to the beginning because God is immutable. He is unchanging. And when we learn about God, the majority of what we learn about who God is, is going to have a lot of it, if not all of its rooting in Genesis 1, 2, or 3. It's important for us to grasp this. And One of the things that I've been so stirred with as we've been preparing for this time is that abiding with God is not a new concept by any means. This is a concept that has existed from eternity past. So this morning as we're talking about these ways in which we relate to God, I want us to understand life with God has always been the intention. Because God himself has eternally existed, abiding in himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. We see glimpses of this at the beginning in John 1, when we see in the beginning God created the heavens of the earth. And we also see this picture in Genesis 1, 2, as the Spirit is hovering over the water. And then in Colossians 1, we see Paul remind us that it's in him, through him, and by him that Jesus Christ is doing what? He's holding all things together. That creation itself happened through Jesus There's this picture of community of abiding that has already been established, is established in the Godhead. This is important for us understanding the theology of abiding because of what happens in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. So if God has existed, abiding in himself and Father, Son, Holy Spirit together, if they are in relationship, if they've been abiding together and we get to the chief creation and in Genesis 1:26 it says, let who? Us, Godhead, create mankind, man and woman, in our image, our likeness, in his image. And in his image, he created them male and female. What I want us to see is that God himself in the Godhead lived in an abiding relationship. This abiding, being with, being, remaining in is essential to who God is. The Trinity is. And then if all of humanity is created in his image, in his likeness, it is essential for us to understand that we are created to be with him. And in that then follows the first commission in which he says, hey, I want, I'm calling you to co-rule the earth, to work hard, and do it together with me. And then in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we start to see this picture of what being with God looked like. And they walked together, they talked together, they worked in the garden. Male and female did this together, and they did it with God. And then sin enters the world in Genesis 3. And what's the first thing that humanity does? After they sin, what do they do? Anybody remember? They hide. They hide from being with the one in which they were always created to be with. This abiding in Jesus, abiding with God is not a new concept. It's one that's written into the fabric of creation. All throughout the new, excuse me, the Old Testament, we see this promise even in Genesis 3:15 after sin comes in and it breaks that shalom, there is a promise that one will come from the seed of the woman And that one will come and crush a bruise, it'll crush the head of the serpent and his his heel will be be bruised. And that person is Jesus, of course, that we've been talking about and continue to talk about and will always talk about. Jesus breaks forward, is born into humanity, takes upon flesh, And once again, we get to see the abiding nature of God working in the person of Jesus. As we have the Father sending the Son, as we have the Son laying down His divine rights and attributes and taking upon flesh. And only doing like we see in John 5, what the Father says. Empowered by the Spirit, lives the life that He lives, showing us what the abiding life looks like. We'll get more into that in the future But what I want us to see as we're talking about the abiding life is that this has always been God's design to dwell with humanity so much so that he sends his son Jesus not just to go to the cross. The cross is the means in which we might now be reunited and be able to once again be with the Father. We might be united once again. Jesus says something in John 14, 20. He says in that day you will know that I am in the Father and you and me. And then again in John 15, 4, he says, abide in me and I in you. And Jesus is teaching us that life with God unites us with God himself. We are Brought into union with God. Through Jesus. We are made to be with him. Jesus didn't just die so that you might be forgiven. Jesus didn't die so that you could get really good grades. Jesus didn't die just so that you could feel better about yourself. Jesus didn't just die so that. It would now be, that, that you could fill in the blank. Jesus died on the cross. So that we might be brought back into union with God. That we might be with him the way that God originally intended from the creation of the world. You are made to be with God. I want us to try and understand this idea of union with Christ for a moment because it's incredibly important for us and where we'll go in the future. I'm going to share some passages of Scripture with you. Colossians 3, 3-4, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God, and when Christ is your life appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. In the Bible, you'll notice that the word for Christian is very rarely used. Rather, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, or in Christ is the descriptor. Essence of Christianity is, is the reality that a person has now been united with Jesus. And here are some more passages that help us understand this. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Or Romans 6.4, we have been buried with Christ. Colossians 3.1, that you have been raised with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places, Ephesians 2, 6, or Romans 6, 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. According to Paul, the nature of our salvation has united us to Christ. And the actions that Jesus performed have been applied and been credited to us. This is validated in 2 Corinthians five twenty one that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God. So the other side of union with Christ is that Christ is in us. Colossians 1.27, to then God chose to make them known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. From Matthew 28.20, and lo, I will be with you to the very end of the age. Why am I bringing all this up? Because this is the reality of those who are in Christ Jesus. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. This is the truth of what Scripture teaches. And still Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. There's this idea of the mutuality of union with Christ, that we are in Christ and we are called to abide in him. The truth is, if you are a follower of Jesus, whether or not you like it or not, I don't think this is a, we don't like it. Christ is in us. That's the truth. The sin that once separated us between God, it has been broken down. That wall of hostility has been killed. It was nailed to Jesus on the cross. So now we can be with God once again. So this morning for us, what I want us to understand is, is that from the beginning, God has always desired humanity and him to be abiding together, to be in relationship together, to be with one another. That's what we're created for. That's broken at the fall. When Jesus comes, he makes it possible through his life, death, and resurrection for that wall of hostility, that that, that condemnation that once stood in the way between us and God. That has been broken. That has been <clears throat> excuse me through his shed blood through his shed blood we have been healed and we've been brought into right relationship with him and now we are in a space where we are able to be with god But one of the fascinating parts about this is the abiding life is one, yes, that is absolutely dependent upon what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf. But your participation and my participation are required as well. And the rest of this month, we're going to talk about what that looks like. But one of my hopes and and dreams for you this morning is that there'd be something stirred in us this morning, reawakened in us, that we have been made to be with God before we have been made to perform for him or to accomplish tasks for him. We have been made to be with the creator of the universe. And if we try and operate in any other posture outside of being with him, For apart from me, you can do nothing. We are going to find ourselves struggling and scrambling. Trying to please God or trying to do something for him to finally make him happy. Trying to unlock that right equation. If I just, you know, eat these right, you know, carbs or non-carbs or whatever, then all of a sudden my body's going to click and then everything's going to be perfect. Friends, we are made, and I know this is an overly simplified thing, but I just want to, we are made to be with God. And He has made it possible. But there is a question Do you want to be with Him? Do we want to be with Him? Or would we rather relate to God above him? God, I know you're there, that's cool, but I'm just going to kind of like do my own thing. Eric, why don't you come on up and get ready to lead us in response here. We started this morning out by talking about the ways in which we often relate to God. (laughs) And how the best posture It's one that recognizes and lives in the reality that we are with God. And friends, some of us have lost the wonder, the joy, and the miracle that this is. Hope that God would reawaken this reality in our lives. Would we be conscious that we now, through the finished works of Jesus, that we are able to be with God That he is with us and it's time for us to remember, act, and treat God like that is true. We talked a while ago about there's a difference between knowing that somebody is with you and treating somebody like they're with you. I've gone plenty of walks or hikes with people. but it's very rare that I go on a hike or a walk with a person and never talk to them, acknowledge their presence, say hello. In fact, there have been times when I've been in groups with people and they've been with me, but I've treated them like they weren't. And how do you think that made them feel? Not great. Again, I'm not trying to make God more like in our image, but I want us to understand there's a difference. The truth is that God is with you. But abiding in him is the process of regularly acknowledging and understanding that the presence of Jesus is with you. David says it like this. If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I descend into the depths of Sheol, you are there. Where can I go from you? If you have been purchased, you have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. There is nowhere you can go from him. That's good news, I hope. Now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and nothing can separate us from his love. But well, friends, I just want to stay here, at the heart of God. There's, there's invitation to more. Abide in me and I in you. Abide in me and I in you. Would we abide in him? This week, we have an exercise for you. And this exercise is, and you're going to do it with your community group as well. If you're not in a community group, we invite you to do it. But this is the exercise. We want to um, cultivate a sentence prayer, an abiding prayer. This is for you to do. You can do it on another three-by-five card. But we're going to introduce this practice to help us grow in this truth of saying an abiding prayer. Because we want to increase our intentionality in being with God and knowing that he's with us, so our practice is this, it's to come up with a simple prayer, a short sentence, and we want to repeat it as often as we think of it throughout the day. It may be helpful for you to start with like a morning, a midday, and an evening opportunity, but a simple prayer is something like this. This is not your time to like get full, like going all over it. It's just something like this, Jesus is with me. Jesus is with you or maybe it's something like this thank you Jesus that you abide in me I want to be with you you can use scripture too which is a fantastic place to start if you want to do but what we're asking is that you each would come up with a, a a sentence prayer that you can repeat throughout the week multiple times throughout the day That would remind you of the theological truth that Jesus is with you and you are with him. We need to be reminded of this because this world is trying, and we'll talk about it next week, but it is trying so hard to say, he's not really with you. And you are definitely not with him. So the Lord's given us weapons and disciplines like prayer. To help declare these truths over and over and over again the goal of doing a prayer exercise like this isn't to become a monk or anything like that it's just that we would grow in the reality that we would walk in the light as he is in the light that we would grow in the truth that he is with us and we are with him